Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, August the 16th, 2022. It is currently 8.36 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, if I was to gather all of my listeners together in one place, if I was to gather them all together, right, one location, and I'm like, okay, guys, I want you to come up with all the things you think are wrong right now in the body of Christ, all the things you think are wrong in churches all across the United States of America, things that you think are wrong possibly in your own spiritual life, what do you think they would say? You may not be a normal listener to the program. What would you say? What What are some of the, let's just name three major issues in the church today, three major issues in the body of Christ, three major issues in the lives of most Christians. What do you think you would say? What, what, I don't know. I mean, I would love to hear what your, your thoughts on this. I asked a number of people today and I already got some responses. And I thought all of their responses were very interesting. In fact, I could probably do a podcast about each one of their responses. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. But I, I, w- I just wanted to know what, what do people perceive is the problem. But, uh, but put it this way. Nobody, <laughs> nobody messaged me back and said, what? Problem? There's no problem. Everything's perfect in the body of Christ. Every, well, someone just said politically hijacked. I definitely believe that's the case. I definitely believe that's the case. But I know I didn't have one person message me back going, no, no problem. I think everything's pretty good. I think things are going great. No, everyone immediately acknowledged there's some issues. There's some problems. And it made me think, Why? Why are there so many problems? Why are they so, why are there so many issues? Why is it that I asked people and within minutes I had answers? Like I mean a few said they had to think about it, but I mean the answers came relatively quick. I mean I could ask I've asked lots of other questions before and never received a response, but here it was like boom 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 boom. Everyone was aware, perceived and could immediately think of some issues, or maybe it took 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever the case was, but they were able to formulate, I think this is a problem. I think this is a problem. I think this. So my question is, why are there so many problems? Now, I know someone's going to say, well, that's obvious because we're sinners. I know that. But in the minds of most evangelical Christians, we have a supernatural power residing in us. So why can't it overcome all the problems? When I first started thinking about this concept and how I was going to put this podcast episode together this evening, I grabbed a notebook and I wrote down, what are some major problems in the church? Number one, a lack of unity. I mean, the church is so divided today. We don't agree on anything. We don't agree on any theology we don't agree on doctrine. We don't agree on hermeneutics. We, we don't agree on baptism, the Lord's Supper, church structure, church discipline. We don't uh, literally agree on anything. So there's a lack of unity. Why? Why is there such a lack of unity? Why? Especially if we supposedly are indwelt with some su- supernatural power that guides us, that leads us, that reveals truth to us. You think there would be perfect 
unity. But that's not the case. There's a lack of unity. Almost everyone agrees that there's some type of lack of knowledge. Like like people don't know the gospel or people don't understand how to handle the scriptures or people don't, like almost everyone pointed today uh, to some kind of lack of of knowledge in some way, shape, or form. Now, they may not have used that that word lack of, or that term lack of knowledge, but anyone I ask today, no matter how I ask them, whether on all the different places I was reaching out to people, uh, almost everyone said, you know, well, people don't understand this, or they don't know this, or they don't know doctrine, or they don't know church history, they don't know this. And it's like, okay, well, once again, according to the evangelical world, no, we have a supernatural power that is leading us into all truth. So why would there be a lack of knowledge? Why would there be a lack of knowledge? So I think there's a lack of unity. I think there's a lack of knowledge. Here's here's a a third one. Here's a third one. How about a, a, a lack of passion and zeal? Because a lot, there's been articles written about that apathy is kind of the, the dominant mood in the evangelical church today. There's such an, a, an apathetic mindset. Well, where is the passion and where is the zeal? Well, if, again, the evangelical world says we are, we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Well, then why wouldn't we have passion and zeal? It, it, the Spirit can't overcome our apathy? Typically, someone would say something like this. There's a lack of godliness. There, there is worldliness is all over the church. There's, there's ungodliness. There's worldliness. We need godliness. Well, if we have the Holy Spirit inside of me, then why is there a lack of godliness? No one did not, No one can tell me right now there's a, that, no, there's not a lack of unity. Everyone would have to agree that there's a lack of unity. Everyone would have to agree there's a lack of knowledge because a study after study says that the church is absolutely suffering an epidemic, a pandemic of, of biblical illiteracy. Everyone has to acknowledge that. Everyone, there's articles after articles been written about there's a lack of passion and zeal. Apathy has taken over the church. Everyone agrees that there's a lack of godliness. There just seems to be worldliness abounds everywhere. No one has a a desire for holiness. Okay. Now, all of those are true. No, No one can deny any of that. All of those are problems in the church. Why is, why do those problems continue to persist? Because the evangelical world constantly sells it that once you become a Christian, Boom! You get power. You get supernatural power. And now we can. And then we they go through all the things supposedly we can do and that we should do. So on one hand, everyone, I want you to think about this. On one hand, everyone acknowledges the problem. Everyone seems to be more than aware that there's a problem. However, at the very same time, evangelicals constantly teach that when you're saved, you're indwelt with a supernatural power that gives you the ability to do this and this and this and this, and the Holy Spirit's doing this, and it's doing this, and it's they give us all the things the Spirit is supposedly doing. So if everyone acknowledges the problem, but yet everyone acts like that we have a power that, well, 
<laughs> you should take away these problems, then you know what has to happen in the church. There's got to be a doctrine, a theology to explain it all. There's got to be a theology that explains the lack of change. There's, there has to be, there has to be. And there really are three major theological answers to this problem. Hey, there's a problem in the church, yet we have this power. So how do we explain the the problems and the power? There's got to be an explanation. So within the Christian church, there are three explanations, probably more, but I'll go with the, the, the major three. Number one, you probably are familiar with this one. The doctrine of subsequence. The doctrine of subsequence. What do I mean by subsequence? What, 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 what do you think I mean by subsequence? Well, let's just do this. Look up, let's look up the word subsequence. Let's, let's look it up. If we look up the word subs, subsequence, if I can say the word correctly, if I can, if I can spell it uh, cor- correctly, uh, let's see, subsequence. Hang on. Subsequence. Definition. Here we go. All right. There we go. If I can do this correctly. Subsequence. The state of following something, especially as a result or effect. The state of following something. Now, you may be thinking, how can the doctrine of subsequence explain away the lack of 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 change and 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 the and the reality of all of these problems even though we have the holy spirit how what what is the doctrine of subsequence well if you don't understand the doctrine of subsequence it basically goes like this you become saved right you become saved you you are regenerated you are saved you you were born again you become a child of god and then at a later time subsequent to your salvation it may be a week, it may be a month, it may be a year, it may be one hour, it may be 14 years, you become saved, and subsequent to your salvation, boom, you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and now you have power Now you have the power to overcome this and you have the power to do this and you have the power to do that. So that, that doctrine really helps explain away. Well, wait a minute. If, if the Holy Spirit does all of these things, why do we have these problems? Well, we have these problems because there's a whole lot of people who are still waiting for this power to it, to show up in their life because they're waiting for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they need to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And once they experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, boom, they'll get the power, well, which will help them overcome these problems. Now, this is a doctrine. It's present in the assemblies of God. It's a present in charismatic world, very, very common in the charismatic world. Now, typically in the charismatic world, it goes something like this. The after your salvation, you seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you know you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit by by receiving the gift of tongues. If you start speaking in tongues, you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now you've got the power, you've got the ability. Now you now you now basically every all these problems, all these issues to just 
go away because you've got this supernatural power. But the reason so, the reason we see all of the problems is because a large portion of the church, a, l- a large majority of Christianity, well, they're, they're, they're missing it. Now, the only problem with this view, not, not, I mean, there's countless problems with this view, but the issue is, well, you take charismatics, right? All supposedly have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and guess what? All of these problems that I just mentioned, well, they still show up in the charismatic world. Lack of godliness, apathy, I mean, all lack of true biblical theological knowledge, uh, unity. There's all kinds of different uh, charismatic denominations. That, that all, all the problems show up. So once they, even when they get the supposed baptism of the Holy Spirit, they still have these problems. But that that's that doctrine of subsequence is is a is a common I mean it's a very common doctrine in the charismatic world. It's just like, hey, no, you get saved, but you haven't gotten the Holy Spirit yet. You haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Once you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, now you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now you have the power. Now you can be. They may use words like, now you're launched into mission. Now you are empowered. Now you can be the overcomer that you're called to be. Now you have the power to do whatever they attach to it. And we could we could read a little bit more about this and some of the doctrinal statements of charismatic churches, but that's one attempt to try to explain this. Hey, we got these problems. We got all of these problems, but supposedly we have this power. How do we reconcile it? Doctrine of subsequence. Th- these people haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they lack power. Therefore, the church well, the church demonstrates that lack of power in all of these problems. Unity, lack of unity, lack of knowledge, lack of uh, passion and zeal, and a lack of godliness. Sounds good. <laughs> just, it doesn't really work. And not only that, it just completely obliterates the fact that the baptism of the Holy Spirit has to be connected to our initial salvation, because if we don't have the Spirit, well, we're we're not Christians. We have to be indwelt with the Spirit. But we, 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 could, we could take it all apart. Clearly, I reject the doctrine of subsequence, but it is a, an attempt to explain this problem. Number two. First one is the doctrine of subsequence. Second, and I don't really know maybe a, a good theological term for this, but it, I will call this Christians have not learned to walk in the spirit. They are indwelt by the, this, this, this view would say, no, not the doctrine of subsequence, because when you're saved, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwells you. You have the Holy Spirit, but now you have the spirit, but now you have to learn to walk in it. See, the Spirit is in you. Supposedly, the Spirit's there to give you all of this power, all of these abilities to lead you into knowledge, all of these things, but now you have to figure out how to walk in it. Now, you would think if the Spirit is in me and it has all of this power, it would just lead me to walk in it, right? To walk according to it. You, you would think it would just be, well, if the Spirit is in me, well, then the Spirit is in me would overcome any obstacle to me walking according to it because I'm literally possessed and indwelt by the Spirit of God. But somehow it's like, no, he indwells you. He's empowering you. He's doing these things, but you have to walk in accordance with it. And if you don't, well, it it, it all short circuits and it blows up. And I don't know, you just, you don't have the power anymore. But if you'll just repent and get back into walking to step with it. The only problem is, 
Christians have been trying to walk according to the Spirit for 2,000 years. 2,000 years, Christians have been trying to walk according to the Spirit. And guess what we still have? A lack of unity, a lack of knowledge, a lack of passion and zeal, and a lack of godliness. So then you have to say, well, most Christians never walk according to the Spirit. Okay, well then, how? so the Spirit's in me. The Spirit's supposed to be giving me power, but nobody walks according to... That's not... That's not much of an answer. And again, why wouldn't the Spirit be able to overcome my resistance to walk according to it? it the Holy Spirit's the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. I, 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 you would think it should be able to overcome that, or that the person of the Spirit should be able to overcome that. So number one is the doctrine of subsequence. And I had an article about subsequence, and I was going to go into it much more, so I, I apologize if I kind of... Like I, you, you thought maybe I was going one direction, I stopped because I was going to go doctrine of subsequence and really try to, and then I decided, nope, I'm not going to, instead of taking this article apart, I'll just look up the definition of subsequence, and, but it took me forever to find it, so I apologize. But okay, all right, here we go. See, I, I, I'm always critiquing what I'm doing as I'm speaking, okay? All right, doctrine of subsequence. That's why I'm glad I'm live, because see, if I wasn't live, I would have like, mm, nah, I didn't like that, stop, start over, but nope, I'm live, so there's no doing that. All right, number two. Learn, you, you Christians are, are failing to learn to walk in the Spirit. If they would truly learn to walk in the Spirit, boom, all the problems would go away. And then a very common one. And I think everyone knows what number three is. Come on, you know what number three is. Come on. I don't know if anyone's listening live. What is number three? I mean, there may be people listening live, but not everyone responds. But if you're listening via the Spreaker app, what is number three? What is number three? You have to know the third kind of go-to explanation. This is the most popular one in the evangelical world. This is the most popular one. They would say, I kind of want to wait and see if someone would answer, but that's okay. They would say the reason we have so much lack of unity, lack of knowledge, lack of passion and zeal, and lack of godliness is because the majority of professing Christians are not saved. Therefore, they're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, there can be no change because they have no power. They're, they're still dead in their trespasses and sins. And they would say that's the majority of Christianity. Of course, all the people who say that always think that they're not a part of that majority. The people who always say this, so magically, they, they, they have it all down. Now, the problem is the people who claim to have it all down, well, you can have this group claims to have it all down, and they claim the majority is lost, and that group claims everyone has it down and everyone's lost, but these two groups who supposedly have the spirit and have the power, they don't agree on anything. <laughs> so it still doesn't bring unity. And yet many of those people walking around claiming, well, they're not saved, they're not saved, they're not saved. You start talking to them, they don't really have that much knowledge. In many cases, you'll see that they don't really have the passion and zeal. And many times you'll find, well, guess what? Even in those groups that supposedly we've got it all figured out, ungodliness is very, very present. Why, is, why do we have all of these problems? Yet we tell everyone. When you get the Holy Spirit, it's, it's completely, everything's changed. Everything is 100% fixed. Well, some would say doctrine of subsequence. They're saved, but they haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We got to get them up to the front of the church. We got to speak in tongues. Boom. All the problems will be fixed. I've worked with plenty of people 
who've received supposedly the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues, and their lives were train wrecks, okay? I mean, all kinds of sins, broken relationships, they had all kinds of problems, so I, whatever. I'm, so, I'm just so tired of hearing that, that that's the, the answer. Learn to walk in the Spirit. Well, clearly no one has figured that out. And, and well, not saved. Well, then nobody is saved. So then there's no saved Christians. So none of those really explain this. Now, why have I spent 20 minutes in my introduction? <laughs> because with all of that, I would like to say welcome to another episode, not only of the Theology Central podcast, but our series, Bible Study Exercise, where we keep and we cannot get away from this this particular study, we started a long time ago a study on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. This is now part 21. We've spent over 20 hours working on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And I have returned back to this series because recently Insight for Living, the ministry of Chuck Swindoll, started, if you if you subscribe to their podcast, I would say a, a new series. They are re-airing a very old series that Chuck Swindoll did, I believe in the 80s. I think it was the 80s. Maybe it was the early 90s, um, calling Flying Closer to the Flame, re- basically reacquainting yourself with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, basically getting to know the Holy Spirit again. And we, I, in part 20 of this series, I played a little bit of it and told everyone to go download it, to listen to it, and let me know what they think. Nobody has told me what they think. No, nobody has said anything. But I, I'm still listening. I'm still listening to the series. And I believe it was this morning that I reached over, grabbed my iPad. I started the day with issues ETC. And then after that, you, you, if you listen to my last live broadcast today, you'll hear that. Well, then somewhere in the morning, it may have been even later, I ended up on Insight for Living. Oh, another episode with their, their series on the Doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I'll just skip the, the previous one and just, what did he talk about today? And this is what I heard. Listen carefully. It's going to go by quick. Listen carefully. As we try to wrap our minds around the growing turmoil in our world, it's tempting to think we're the first generation to face such chaos. But as King Solomon said long ago, there's nothing new under the sun. So then, how do we remain calm when our world is falling apart? Today on Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll continues his teaching series called Flying Closer to the Flame. The answer, Chuck says, is found in the third person of the Trinity. He titled this next message in the series, The Main Agenda of God's Spirit, Transformation. Okay, so see, how can we keep it all together when the world is falling apart? It's the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit's main agenda? Transformation. The, The Holy Spirit's agenda is to transform us, is to completely radically change us. Well, we got 2,000 years of church history, and you know what we see in 2,000 years of church history? Division, fighting, sin, brokenness, this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem. Yet, while all of these problems, where all of these realities are just right there, nobody can deny them. The church keeps saying, Holy Spirit, it's the power. It will change you. It will transform you. It will do this. It will do this. And a lot of people, you know what happens? You know what happens to a lot of people? 
after a while, they're like, this isn't working. This, this is garbage. There's either something so wrong with me or Christianity is a lie. Now, a lot of people will convince themselves of I'm so changed and I'm so transformed. And then you just, you'll watch them in the, the most, like the easiest situation, how they talk to someone in a convenience store, how they talk to someone at a drive through at a fast food restaurant, how they handle themselves at work. And you're like, whoa, man, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. You're a jerk. You're a condescending jerk. Are you hearing them at work gossip about someone, slander someone? Who knows what's going on inside their minds with hatred, bitterness, lust? Who knows? But but they will convince themselves. No, 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 no. I'm different. It's all you other people. Well, well while you're pointing the finger, you don't see your own sin. But we convince, we try to convince ourselves. But a lot of people just at some point give up on the game. They're like, forget this. It's not working. And you know where they end up? On TikTok, making videos and deconstructing their faith because they, they don't believe it works. But we keep selling. It will change you. And then here's even Swindoll. The main agenda of the Holy Spirit is transformation. Well, again, if the Spirit is in every believer and the main agenda of the Spirit is transformation... It should be just like, hey, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to see a transformed people, if you want to see people who love God, who love others, who love their enemy, who turn the other cheek, you want to see people who like they're they are so radically different, go visit a local church. But no, the world's like the church is just as messed up as we are. They just got worse music. I mean, I mean, literally, that that's basically what it looks like. Why? Why? Now, typically, a certain kind of teaching emerges that attempts to promote this transformation narrative. And it goes something like this. I'm not going to tell you. This is how it goes. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to play a little bit more of Chuck Swindoll. Now, again, I want you to go subscribe to this podcast series or to this podcast, Insight for Living, just because I, 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 well, I just like pointing you to other podcasts because I I, I want you to to hear, and I want you to listen to all 14 parts of the series. Right now, they're only on episode three or episode four, but again, Insight for Living, they're they're, the, the most current series. But I, now, I cannot be dogmatic that this is the direction he's going. Let me say this. I can't be dogmatic this is the direction he's going, but it clearly seems that's the direction he's going. So what I'm going to do is, even if he doesn't end up where I think he's going to end up, I'm going to use his beginning to at least explain this type of teaching that I was taught and that I guarantee you I guarantee you were taught in some way, shape, or form. And it has everything to do about the disciples and the apostles. All right? It's very, very, very common. And, well, here we go. Let, let's see if you can pick it up. Let's see if you can, if you can decipher it, if you can detect it. How, how good are you at detecting, oh, I know where this is going. I know where this is going. See, I, I don't... I don't know what other people do. Like, I know it doesn't matter if I'm reading a book. It doesn't matter if I'm watching a movie. 
I, I, I talk to what I, I watch. I, I stand up and I'm like, oh, oh, I know where this is going. Oh, I bet this. Oh, oh, oh. And I'm, I'm always, when I'm reading a book, I'm like, wait, what are you doing? No. Oh, I know where this is going to go. I bet you this is going to happen. Yeah, I, I'm way over the top. I mean, some would say I'm a, dr- a drama queen, I guess. Maybe a drama king. I don't know. I don't know if they would, I don't know what they would call me, but they would definitely say that I'm very over the top like that. Well, I do the same thing when I listen to sermons. I'm like, oh, 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 I know where this is going. Oh, wait, wait, I bet she's going to say this. Oh, oh, oh. Like I get all excited trying to follow. Oh, okay. Wait, there's the thesis statement. Okay. He's using that point to prove this. Okay. Okay. Like I'm, I'm diagramming the sermon. Well, when this started today, I was like, oh, I know where he's going. I know where he's going because he's entitling this that the main agenda of the spirit is transformation. But he starts off by talking about the lives of a certain group of people. Clearly, that's not transformed. And he, there has to be a reason why. Just, just watch this develop. Here we go. Have you ever put yourself in the place of the original disciples of Christ? You know, if we're not careful, I fear that most of us would think of them as as sort of pious-looking monks, uh, much like the statues that now grace the the great cathedrals and churches around the world. Uh, Whether it is St. Peter or St. John or St. Matthew or St. Thomas, most of these images in our minds are, are images of rather holy and, um, and un, unmoving, uh, that is, unmovable, venerated saints of God. When I was a little boy, our, uh, f- during the Second World War, my father worked seven days a week. We didn't have a car uh, when Sunday rolled around, and so... Uh, we chose a a church just down the end of the street where we lived, and it happened to have been St. Andrew's Methodist Church uh, in uh, East Houston. And I remember as a a lad standing in front of a a, a marble statue of what represented St. Andrew. And I I used to stare at that statue and study the lines in that face. And um, I remember thinking, how could anybody that sacred be that sad? Um, Or could he have ever been real? In fact, I didn't know until I was was almost grown that St. Andrew represented one of the original, one of the original disciples. Um, now, with all due respect for these fine uh, men of God, uh, those mental pictures we have of them are a far cry from who they were originally. Ding, 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 ding. Did you get it? Hey, we have this image of them. But that image we have is a far cry to who they were, and then dramatic pause, originally, originally, 
So what he's getting ready to do, he's getting ready to go back and say, look at how they were originally, then look at what they were later, and dun dun da da. What caused the transformation? It was the reception, it was the receiving of the Holy Ghost. They were transformed, and the same is true of us. Here's what we were, here's what we are, and that mighty transformation is the Holy Spirit. But then again, when you really look at the lives of believers, look at all of the issues, look at all the problems, look at all the sin, and you have to go, wait a minute. Was the transformation what it, we, because we, we sell this, this thing like, I, hey, are you down? Are you depressed? Wait, do you have bad breath? Wait, do you have bad hair? All right, call now. Get the Holy Spirit and dun, dun, da, da. You will be changed. Perfect marriage, perfect parenting, perfect, perfect everything, perfect employee, perfect employer, perfect everything. And I would say, well, nobody will be perfect. <laughs> yeah, we say that, but we almost have this idea that we'll be pretty close. That's the direction he's going to go. But we're going to listen to a little of this, and I'm going to give you an assignment. I don't know if anyone will take me up on it. It's the Bible study exercise. This is the way we do the Bible study exercises. So if no one takes me up on it, that's okay. My job is to try to give you things to do to get you from being a passive listener to an active participant, all right? But so, so this is, and you've probably heard this teaching all the time. Look at this and look at how they were changed. And I know somebody going to say, but they were transformed. I'm not going to say that there wasn't any change at all. But I think we, but at the same time, some of these people that we say were so changed and so transformed are people like the Apostle Paul who will be like, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. I'm the chief of sinners. And you're like, well, he was just, oh, you know, he was just, you know, dramatic. He really wasn't that bad. Peter still had issues even after the supposed great transformation, did he not? Paul had to confront him, Right. I mean, he and it was dealing with not only with the gospel, but how he was treating people. So these, these people did not like just become perfect. They still had problems. They were still humans. They were still sinners. They still had struggles. Just the New Testament doesn't always outline all of their problems and all of their struggles. But we'll focus on almost like they, they, they begin to walk on water. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, you'll have some, some passages that seem to imply the people had the Spirit. We talked about this early in our study on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit because it's usually taught, well, the people in the Old Testament, they, they weren't indwelt by the Spirit. But you've got some passages that seem to indicate that the Spirit was with them. And, and we, we, we looked at some of those passages. Even David, even after his great sin in Psalm 51, when he confesses, I mean, look at what David says in Psalm 51. Something. I mean, we all know this passage, but I think we overlook a, a, a phrase that he uses. David has committed murder, adultery, cover up. I mean, he he would be he would be considered disqualified for everything in the modern church, and yet God used him to write scripture. All right, uh, Psalm fifty-one. Look here, Psalm fifty-one. He says this. If I can find it, um, uh, let's see here, uh, Psalm fifty-one. Verse 11, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Even after all of that, he, 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 he was speaking as if he had the Holy Spirit. Well, with the Holy Spirit, he committed adultery. He committed murder. 
But we sell it that, no, 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 no. You, when you get the Holy Spirit, boom, you've got this power that you should be able to overcome, overcome everything. Now, sometimes the way we try to get around this is, well, you've got the power, but you have to use it. You, know, you would think the power would get rid of my not wanting to use it. And again, how much power do we have? Because some Christians almost teach that we have so much power that technically we should just be able to be perfect. Well, then where is the person who wants the power who and they can show me pretty close to perfection? But when you start digging into people's lives, it gets ugly. There's skeletons. There's dirt. There's sin. Oh, externally, they look good. It's behind the curtains that things are never what they appear to be. But let's see what he's going to do here. And then I'm going to give you a challenge. And, I, and I, if for those who will take the challenge, I think you'll be like, huh, that is true. Look, just, just, just see if you catch on. Here we go. In fact, I am now convinced that if it had not been for the, the intimate spirit of God, they would have left no impact whatsoever on this earth. They would have passed into oblivion as the many multitudes whose names we will never know passed into oblivion from the first century. These were mere men who ate that last meal with Jesus, even though they had spent three and a half years in the finest of training from the best of all teachers, Jesus himself. Now I want you to hear this. They spent three years with what you would have to say is the greatest preacher, the greatest teacher, the greatest discipleship program ever organized. Listen, you would even have to say they spent three years in the greatest, you know how I feel about this word, the greatest community that ever existed, right? They had the right community. They had the right teacher. They had the right theology. They had the right doctrine. And what he's going to demonstrate is they still didn't get it. They were still all messed up, but something's going to happen that's going to fix it all. Just like, just like that. Three years of teaching? No, don't get it. Three years of walking with Jesus? Don't get it. Three years of being in the perfect community? Doesn't fix. But boom, boom, one thing transforms them forever. Well, if that's true, then all of our problems and all of our issues should be able to be fixed with boom, one snap of the finger. I don't say that as a put-down. On the contrary, I am trying to build, and I think you will see from the Scriptures in our study today, I'm trying to build a case for accuracy and the biblical portraits that are painted for us regarding the original apostles before the work of the Holy Spirit within them as He transformed them. The original apostles were really not that impressive. See, before the Holy Spirit, they weren't that impressive. But after the Holy Spirit, they changed the world. They will never be forgotten. Before, eh, nothing. Eh, not impressive. They would have just disappeared off the pages of history and nobody would have cared. But with the Holy Spirit, 
Bum, bum, ba-dum. It's almost like before the Holy Spirit, they're Clark Kent. After the Holy, before the Holy Spirit, they're Clark Kent. After the Holy Spirit, they're Superman. That's the way the evangelical world teaches it. But 2,000 years of church history saying, I don't see Superman. I see sinners, weak, broken people who struggle, who fail, who make mistakes, who try to get back up. Just as we are not, uh, apart from the work of the Spirit of God. Now, see, just as we, we're not impressive apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. But once the work of the Holy Spirit starts happening, then all of a sudden we become impressive. That's the, that's the implication there. We're not impressive before the work of the Holy Spirit. After the work of the Holy Spirit, we become pretty impressive and we can change the world and we can transform everything. <laughs> Let me show you why I say that. Open your New Testaments to John chapter 14. And when you do, you know you have arrived at the Last Supper scene. In fact, it begins in John 13, and it goes through John 16. So we are right in the heart of the Last Supper, or what is commonly called the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus has been reclining with his men at the table. Judas has been dismissed into the night to carry out his awful deed. And while he is meeting with the, with the uh, Pharisees and scribes and making their plans for that mob arrest in the garden, Jesus is alone in this second story uh, room with his 11 faithful, and he is on the verge of unveiling to them uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the details of life as it will be lived following his departure. And they are not ready for that. Now, we're familiar with what Jesus endured, but most are not familiar with the, with the true emotional feelings of these 11 men who are about to face the most awful hours of their lives. As all of their dreams are shattered and all of their hopes are dashed, and they run for their lives. In fact, one of the Gospels writes, Gospel uh, writers states, they all forsook him and fled. In fact, not only did one betray him, the spokesman of the group denied even knowing him. To give you an idea of what they were like. Now, who were these men when he says in verse uh, 1 of... Uh, of chapter, in fact, verse 36 uh, of chapter 13, uh, Simon Peter says to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow later. Now, remember, we've had centuries to think through that in the history of the church. Peter is hearing it for the first time, and he's confused, and, and he says, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? Okay, now, there, there's more we, we could listen to this. Again, I want you to go listen to everything. But here's where he's going to go. He's going to start basically outlining 
all of the issues the disciples had, that they were confused, that they were scared, that they responded in this way. He's going to point out all of their mistakes, all of their weaknesses, all their flaws, all their their problems, because what he's going to attempt to do is once they get the Holy Spirit, dun, dun, da, da, they all disappear. Now, and, and I've heard this teaching a million times. Here's what I want you to do. Here's my challenge to you, right? And I, and I want you to do this in the most simple, fun way possible. I don't want you to, to get bogged down in this, but I want you to just take a Bible and a notebook, right? And just start skimming through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just skim, right? Whenever it mentions one of the disciples, right? When it mentions the disciples of Jesus, right? It doesn't matter Peter, John, it doesn't matter who's mentioned, Matthew, it doesn't matter who's mentioned, any of the disciples, Andrew, you go through any of them, right? When it mentions them, okay, I want you to write down all of the, 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 the mistakes they make, the foolishness, the wrong thing, just, just jot down basically the reference and they were confused or they were unloving or they were filled with hate or they were filled with pride or they were filled with the, just write down all of their issues. Just, just as quickly as you can write down every issue, pride, right? Just boom. And you don't, again, you don't need to try to exegete the passage. Just go through and just find every issue. Every issue. Now, I don't know if anyone's going to actually do this. If you do, I want to see your list, okay? Because we'll, I'll probably, I may use your list to do another episode on this. But I want you to just go through. Here's this problem. Here's a, man, look what Matthew says here. What, and this is all their issues after they start following Jesus. When he says, you know, come and follow me. They start following him. Just all their issues. Like, wait, look at how they treat this, this woman who has a, a medical problem. Wait, look at how they treat these children. And wait, look at, look at them arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And look at how confused they are when, when Jesus says this or Jesus says that. And even Jesus seems to get frustrated with them. Just look at all of their problems, all of their problems, right? Just, just, and again, just as quickly as you can. If you miss some, that's okay. Just one time through, Find the ones, because you're going to find enough. You, you, you find five, six, seven, you're going to be good to go. But just go all the way through them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It'll be a fun evening, okay? Now, once you have that list, I want you to look at that list as openly and as honestly as, honestly as you can. And I want you to answer one simple question. Do the disciples look just like Christians do today? Do they look just like we do today? The same weaknesses, the same problems, the same issues. Now, according to the evangelical theology, no, 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 no. They got the Holy Spirit. It's all changed. But no, we we act, think, and live just like the disciples. They were confused about so many. Look how confused we are since nobody can agree on, on any biblical doctrine. We're just as confused. We're just as scared. We're just as prideful and arrogant and unloving. You just, we see everything the disciples supposedly were originally. We still are today, even with the Holy Spirit. Now, some people, but they were transformed. They were changed. Let's do remember something. They were put in the office of an apostle. Maybe there was a work God did in them that we cannot necessarily prescribe for the rest of us because they were the apostolic. I mean, the early church was clearly needed the apostolic authority. 
They had, they had uh, apostolic authority. They were obviously given revelation. They were clearly given um, uh, ability to perform miracles. There was a lot of things about the disciples, the apostles, that, were, that clearly are not like us. So I, I, I think sometimes we look to them and go, wait, that, that, that is prescribing what, what can happen to us. I'm like, wait a minute. God's not taking me to the third heaven. He's not giving me inspired scripture. He's not giving me revelation. He's not giving me the power to raise the dead and to heal the sick. No, that was for the apostolic time, apostolic. So maybe the work done in the whole, in the apostles cannot be something we immediately prescribe and say, it's the, it's, it's the way it is. Because I guarantee you, you look at the lives of the disciples. You, you do this little exercise I'm giving you just to search, just skim it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, write down everything thing you see that the disciples do that's like, wait, what are they doing? Wait, why are they seeing that? Look at how confused they are. Wait, can you believe they just said that? Wait, can you believe? Yeah, remember when they fell asleep and Jesus is like, please pray with me. We're sleeping. We're tired, right? What, what, what is your problem? Like, that's us. That's us. I'm going to argue that after the Holy Spirit comes for the rest of us, after the apostolic age, that the way the Holy Spirit, whatever we claim the Holy Spirit is doing, we have too much proof that it's not happening the way we do. Now, we can come up with these theological explanations. What's the doctrine of subsequence? If you would get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you would get the power. Well, you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And look at your church. Look at some of the greatest scandals that's happened in the charismatic churches. Those are was done by people who had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So stop with that nonsense. Wait, wait. If we learn to walk in the Spirit, then we can do it. Well, can you find me anyone who has? Wait, wait. Nobody's saved. Okay, well, that's a great one because now you're turning salvation. Salvation is based on what we do, not based on imputed righteousness. So you destroy salvation by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone. All of those explanations don't work. But hey, don't take my word for it. You just skim Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You just skim them and just write down every little messed up, weird, confused thing that the disciples say and just place them in category. Fear. You may have, you can create little categories. Confusion, fear, pride, unloving. You can just, you can create your categories and just, just put all the references there. Matthew, you know, five this, Matthew, whatever. Well, Matthew five is the Sermon on the Mount. So it'd be later on, but you get the idea. And then you just look at it and just say, does that, and you know what you're going to see? You know what you're going to see? If you're honest, you're going to be like, oh no, that's what I'm like. Not me, not me. No, no, no. Well, you may say that. That's what he's like. The guy who does the Theology Central podcast, he's like these really messed up disciples. I am. But what I want you to see is not me. I want you to see you. I want you to go, oh no. I'm looking in the mirror. Peter is just like me. Peter is John, Matthew. These guys are just like me. They're, they're just, they're like my church. And once you hit with that realization, then maybe you'll understand why does the church have such a lack of unity? Why does the church have such a lack of passion and zeal? Why does the church lack so much knowledge? Why does the church lack so much godliness? Maybe, maybe 
we keep saying that we have some kind of power. And maybe we are not quite understanding that correctly. I know this is going to be controversial. It shouldn't be controversial. I'm just dealing with the reality. Now, you can try to deny. You can sit there. Nope, it's not that way. You Say it. Say it. Okay. Just tell me all day how wrong it is, how much power you have, how godly you are, how perfect you are. Just sell it that way. But sooner or later, maybe never comes out in public, but sooner or later, one night, you're going to lay down. You're going to be laying in a dark room, and you're going to realize, man, I got a lot of people fooled. I act like I'm godly. I act like I'm, and and whenever you get hit with the realization of how ungodly you are in your thinking and your emotions and your feelings, maybe how ungodly you are in private, maybe at some point you'll realize, maybe this doesn't work the way I've been telling everyone it's supposed to. And I've been telling all these people that they're not saved because I was making myself the standard. Maybe you'll realize that your standard is messed up because you're messed up. Maybe it'll take a long time for you ever to come to that realization, but one day you're going to come face to face with it. I had to come face to face with my own failures and my own shortcomings and my own stupidity. And when I did, I realized, man, I think I was convincing myself I was more godly than I actually was. Why? Because I, I held to an idea that if I did, if I wasn't this godly, then I wasn't saved. Well, then you start looking around the world of Christianity and like, man, we're all messed up. Then you realize my salvation is not dependent on my actions. It's dependent on the imputed righteousness of Christ. Now, I, I want you to hear, I know some of you say, so you're saying there's no change? I'm not saying that. I think there's some, I think, there, I think the change goes like this. Clearly, when you become a Christian, you change your mind. There's no question about the fact that, well, there's a God. He sent his son. Oh, I'm a sinner. These things are sin. I didn't used to think them as sin. I said, I now feel guilty. And now I desire to do what is good. And I desire to stop doing what is wrong. I think that those are some, I think there's a, a, a change of mind. I think there's somewhat a change of desire but that change of mind and change of desire is still going to be lived out in a reality that you're going to sin and you're going to struggle because guess what is not removed? The sinful nature. But people almost act like the power of the Holy Spirit can just absolutely overcome the sinful nature. Yet they continue to sin and struggle. So go through the Gospels. Just, just do your own survey. Just your own survey. Like, like I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not leading you to it. You'll see what you find. And you're gonna, again, every little, just like, you're like, what are the, everything you know that the disciples are saying and doing that is wrong. And then ask yourself, does that, because what, what Swindoll is building, look at how messed up they are. <laughs> Boom. Look at how much they were transformed. That's us. Uh, no, it's not. It's 2,000 years of church history. It's never been us. The church has done some absolutely horrible things in the name of Jesus. And so have I and so have you. All right, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. If anyone actually does this little kind of skim survey of the Gospels and write out their list. I want to see it. I truly want to see it. I won't, I won't give your name on the air, but I, I do like to take your list and then kind of read it and go, hey, someone came up with these. What do you think? Because I, I, think, I, think, uh, I think people are going to find, whoa, that, 
I, I don't know. May, maybe someone will, will do the survey and go, this is nothing like me. I'm completely different than them. Okay, well, then I'll, I'll let everyone, I'll need your name because uh, I'll tell everyone that you've got the secret and you figured it all out and now you're perfect. But we all know that's not the case. All right. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And that's Insight for Living. That's a little bit of the podcast we listen to. That's the episode. It's part one that the main agenda of the spirit is transformation. Uh, we made it about seven minutes in. So you could just fast forward to about the six minute mark. And then you can kind of just catch up where we were. And then you can live. And, and he's going to give you a lot of the flaws of the disciples. So if you if you're like, I don't know where to start my survey, just go listen to him and just start writing those things down. Look, I don't care how you find them. This is not one of those things where I'm like, no, follow the Bible study method. Use that. Just write them down. And then you'll be like, whoa, they were really messed up. Now, does that describe us? And I think you'll find out it does. All right. Newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.